Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Football Insiders podcast show, The Inside Track. I'm your host, Lewis Pears, and with me today, I'm joined by Football Insider editor Wayne Veazey and our special guest, the former England and Tottenham goalkeeper, Paul Robinson. In today's show, we have exclusive news unveiling the potential fate of Eddie Howe's future at Newcastle after a turbulent run of form, the hidden desires of the Saudi owners PIF and a huge potential replacement, a serial Premier League winner. We'll also look at the January transfer window, discussing Liverpool's short and long-term targets, what the future could hold for Aston Villa forward John Duran, how close Spurs really are to signing Radu Dragasin, and who is pulling the strings behind the scenes of Tottenham in terms of transfer strategies and negotiations. We'll also discuss Crystal Palace sensation Michael Elise and which top clubs are looking at him ahead of the summer. Additionally, we'll talk about the ongoing Jadon Sancho speculation as his loan move edges closer at the time of recording and we'll wrap up with a fun game involving our three shock moves that could potentially happen in this January transfer window and our surprise 2024 Premier League predictions including Kylian Mbappe, Jamie Vardy, Erling Haaland and many more. Please note though, before we begin, we don't expect all of these transfers to happen that we talk about at the end. This was a bit of fun to wrap up the episode. Before we jump in, I'd really appreciate it if you hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform. And if you like what you hear, make sure to give our pod a top review and rating. This helps us to produce the very best possible show. Let's get straight into the episode. Okay, Wayne, to start with, we're going to talk about Newcastle. They're dipping form in recent weeks. Have you got an update for us, please, on Eddie Howe's future? Yeah, well, a a bit of an update, Lewis. Um, He's not absolutely nailed on to be Newcastle manager forever, from what I've heard. That's that's how the owners, the Saudi-based owners, um, Public Investment Fund, see it. They see... Eddie Howe, he did they did an amazing job last season, particularly getting Champions League finished ahead of schedule. But they are hugely ambitious, and from what I'm told, they sort of never saw Eddie Howe as the long-term manager forever. You know, kind of Jurgen Klopp dynasty, Pep Guardiola dynasty. That that wasn't what they were planning when they appointed him, and that's how they still see it. And Based on these recent results, they're, they're, they are concerned, from what I'm told. Um, they're concerned about the dramatic downturn in results and performances. And obviously, there are mitigating factors, one of those being um, you know, an appalling injury list, and that's, that's hit them really, really hard. But um, the, the view from Saudi Arabia is that the team should be doing a lot better. Seven defeats in eight, um, I think. Premier League positions ninth, I, I believe, and you know their 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 form is faltering, and they're not really being that competitive either. I mean, they were blown away by by Liverpool the other day, and I think Newcastle were very very flattered by a four two outcome. And Eddie Howe's long term future is up in the air, and I think he will be okay probably for the rest of this season. Um, but beyond that, I don't, you know, I think all bets are off. And Paul, as of course, as, as Wayne's kind of hinted at, a massive turn in form recently. I mean, they're now 11 points off top four. They're going through a really, really difficult period. What's going wrong at the club? What's happened this season? Because they started on such a high Champions League. Everyone was so excited. And now that sort of excitement is, is really starting to, to diminish. Yeah, and performances. I mean, I was at the Liverpool game, uh, Liverpool-Newcastle game on, on New Year's Day, working at the game and 4-2 flattered Newcastle. They had two attacks and two attempts on goal and they scored. With Isaac playing on the shoulder of Van Dijk, that's how they got the goal. Um, Liverpool outclassed them, but this was a Liverpool team that didn't make Champions League last year, and Newcastle did. So it shows you where where the, where the two pivots have, have, have come in. I mean, I I get the injuries, I get the suspensions. They lost Tonali, which was a huge blow for them. But actually, I think he's been getting away with it for the last two or three weeks with the injuries and suspensions. You look at the teams that he's able to put out. Joe Linton was back in the side the other night against Newcastle. Looking at the starting lineup against Newcastle, they've got Gomez in there. They've got Joe Linton, Isaac, Gordon, Botman, and Shaw back at the centre backs. Yes, I understand he's missing his goalkeeper Pope, um, Wilson, and Trippier didn't travel with the squad at all. They weren't on the bench. They just didn't travel with the squad at all. So I do get that he's have he's had injury problems. You can only go to the well so many times with the same group of players. But these group of players that he's putting onto the pitch every week should be doing better, especially at home against Nottingham Forest. I mean, you you look at what they had in preparation this season. 
They knew that they were competing in the Premier League. They knew they were competing in the Champions League and every other cup competition. I'm surprised they only went in with two strikers. One, knowing that Alan Wilson is injury prone. He's not going to play a whole season. He's not always going to be fit. And I think they went into the season light in, in numbers with, with the squad that they've got, in quality that they've got. And I think they're paying the price for that. And could the game at the weekend against Sunderland, and of course we don't need to talk about the magnitude of that, it's pretty obvious to all fans how much that means to both sets of supporters. Could that really be make or break for Hal Wayne? Do you think this could define their season going forwards? Well, this is definitely the fixture that Newcastle did not want. They wanted um, a much a much easier fixture where they could rotate their players and get some game time for player, fringe players and also give a break, much needed break to their, their first team regulars. They're not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to field a strong team because they don't want the accumulation of losing to their absolute bitter rivals. And it's a huge game for both clubs as a result of that. Um, I think Eddie Howe's in trouble, Lewis. I think um, there hasn't been much pressure or any pressure at all from the fans. He's absolutely adored by the fans. I mean, we put a story on one of our um, Newcastle pages the other day about Eddie Howe's future um, potentially being up in the air and the fans are really angry as a result with, with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses and the, and fans were all saying pretty much the same thing. They they love Eddie Howe, they completely back him and he needs time and you know the injury list is a huge factor. However, that's not how the Saudi owners are looking at it and Eddie Howe and his coach staff, they will know that as well. They know what the expectations are. They know how ambitious the club is. Forget what Eddie Howe says publicly. He doesn't actually say a lot anyway. He doesn't give much away ever. But he knows that the expectations are really, really high. And, you know, you could easily see a scenario where he is not Newcastle manager beyond the summer. Gareth Southgate leaves the England job and Eddie Howe is the next England manager. Um, you know, that seems more and more plausible by the day. I mean, that writing, I would say, is pretty much on the wall. Most people have backed Eddie Howe or Graham Potter for that role, haven't they? But looking at it then objectively from PIF's point of view, Wayne, what do you think their short and long-term goals are going to be? And I mean, really going forwards this season, what should the aims be now that they've crashed out of Europe? Yes, they could potentially go on a cup run if they beat Sunderland. But of course, that is a big ask going away to the Stadium of Light. Yeah, the, the aim is to repeat the top four finish of last season, Lewis. That's that's the expectation. They want to be back in the Champions League. They've had a taste and they want it all over again. They need they need the revenues as well. They've obviously um, made had a massive revenue hike this season as a result of being in the Champions League over, over 50 million. Um, but they want that again. And because of the FFP restrictions, they can only spend a certain amount in the market. And I'll I, I take on board completely Paul's point about it. they knew what competitions they're in they knew the fixture list was going to be more intense but they also are operating within sort of tight restrictions so they couldn't really have spent too much more than they did spend um, in the last couple of windows and having to kind of tread quite carefully um, with that but they expect they expect a lot less they want world domination they want to be next man city they want to be competing to win the Champions League and the Premier League every season. That is their plan. And I think they do not see Eddie Howe necessarily as the guy to get that long term for them. I think this is a huge month for Newcastle. I really do. I mean, you, you opened the, the, the question with the, the game against Sunderland this coming weekend. I'm looking at Newcastle's fixtures for this month. Yes, it's January. Yes, the window's open. How are they going to be able to bring players in? Tiny the, the FFP line. Are they going to be able to bring players in? January's a big month for them transfer-wise. They've got Sunderland away. They're at home to Manchester City. They're away at Aston Villa, at home to a resurgent Luton. And then they're going to Nuno's Nottingham Forest. This is a massive, massive month for Newcastle. It really is big. And it, I mean, I think the, the answer to it all then is it, it is make or break for Eddie Howe. This really could be the last few months of him in charge up at the, in the northeast. So, Wayne, it sounds as well like you've got some news about a former Premier League manager, a serial winner, we should say, who could be in the running for the job potentially. Yeah, there's been links with Jose Marino and from what I'm told those are plausible links Marino is very keen and he's sort of making sort of um, moves behind the scenes to to indicate he is interested in the job he's not expected to be Roma manager next season Marino tends to do a job just or manage his job just for two or three seasons I mean never sort of lasts beyond three seasons does he um not standing that seconds about Chelsea or going back to Chelsea again and he is very keen Newcastle job why wouldn't he be um they're a huge ambitious club with 
lots of money to spend and an owner own ship who will back the manager in the market and Marina still sees himself at that level. Newcastle fans, interestingly, have no interest whatsoever in Marino. So that would be quite a sell because Marino's reputation in the Premier League is nowhere near what it was. However, the Saudis, they want a big-name manager. They don't see Eddie Howe as that sort of big-name manager, despite his popularity of the fans and all the things we've just mentioned. However, Marino has that kind of global appeal, and he is, he is certainly of interest to them. And Paul, from a Newcastle point of view, if you look at it from, from the owner's perspective, how far do you think he really could, could take them? Of course, you can offer some insight on his time at Tottenham because most Spurs fans don't speak very highly of him when you bring up his name. Listen, I've, if I was a Newcastle fan and you, you were linking Jose Mourinho to my club, I certainly would be getting excited. I mean, you look at his, his style of management. I thought when he went into Manchester United, I thought that was going to be the right fit. And I thought he was going to do a job there. And if you ask him now, he's one of his greatest achievements was finishing third and winning the trophy at Manchester United. And you look at where they are now, it's it probably doesn't sound that silly. But I think as as, as where his, his level is or where his credibility is in the Premier League, I don't think he's looked upon as the same manager that was at Chelsea. Um, when he was at Tottenham, he was very pragmatic. The football was very, very uninteresting. In fact, bland at the times. I mean, they, they went through a time with Conte and Mourinho playing counter-attacking football, five at the back at home. It wasn't a good watch. Mourinho is he's a win-now manager. He's a, he, he wants immediate success. He's not going to develop a squad. He's not going to build a team. He's not going to, it's not a project for him. We hear Eric Ten Hag every week, whether it's the truth or whether it's, it's, it's him hiding behind failures, uh, progression, plan, transition, stick with the process. And that's not Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho will go and he'll want players immediately and he'll want to get results immediately. But his style of football, I don't think in any way, shape or form, would one suit the current Newcastle squad or two, excite the Newcastle fans at all. I think Eddie Howe has got a lot of credit in the bank with the fans, rightly so, because of, listen, football fans have, have short memories, but with success comes expectation. As Wayne rightfully says, when people are spending hundreds of millions of pounds of their money, they want success and they want a return on their money. And if it's not being delivered, then there's conversations that will be had. I mean, that's only natural in football. But for me, Jose Mourinho wouldn't be the right fit for Newcastle at all. That is a massive prediction. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that point there, and we're gonna move from the northeast to the northwest. Wayne sounds like Liverpool are in the, in the market potentially for a surprise position this month. Yeah, I mean it's it's early days, Lewis, but the information I have is that they're exploring the market for a potential short-term attacking signing, someone who could get, come on loan for the rest of the season, help cover and provide competition for the. Senior forwards, Mohamed Salah could be missing for up to five weeks. That is a concern to Liverpool. It's also a concern that the attack is overly reliant on Mohamed Salah. And Liverpool have actually played play brilliantly in their last four matches, I think. Um, West Ham, Newcastle, Arsenal and Burnley. However, they've not scored anywhere near as many goals as they probably should have done in those games. And th that and the over-reliance on Salah is... Is a, is a major issue. I think they, they need more cutting edge. That's that's how the club are looking at it. It's not, it's too much to say Liverpool will sign someone because the likelihood is that they might look at the market, you know, availability of forwards and not sign anyone at all because the players aren't of the requisite quality. I'm told that one of the targets is Timo Werner of RB Leipzig. He doesn't have a brilliant reputation among Premier League fans because of his sort of mixed belt at Chelsea. Nonetheless, um, Liverpool did look at him before he signed for Chelsea. He was very close to signing for Liverpool at that point. Um, he's still only 27, 28. He's not in the Leipzig side regularly and is likely to be available for a loan this month. Um, but there is also lots of other Premier League interests, um, including Man United and, and Newcastle as well. So whether he goes to Liverpool or not, it's too early to say, but Liverpool are looking at the market for sure. That sounds like a very interesting move. Then if, if we just talk about Timo Werner for, for a minute then, Wayne, you've obviously mentioned a few clubs in there. Do you think realistically, though, if, if Werner was to come on, on loan to Liverpool, would he actually get proper game time? One man, of course, Paul, I believe you were there um, on, on New Year's Day, Liverpool against Newcastle. One man, of course, that was at the stadium was Bobby Firmino. He's currently at Al Ali, although he hasn't played very much this season. He hasn't played since October, from what I understand. 
could there be any chance of him going on loan? You know, I think that would be the perfect reunion for Liverpool fans, although it might not work necessarily. But I think quite a few Liverpool fans certainly were dreaming of that potentially to happen. Um, for me, it's very unlikely, Lewis. I think he, from what I'm told, he's quite unlikely to return to the Premier League. Um, it was not a coincidence at all he, that he was at Liverpool the other day. I think that's probably part of the process of putting him in the shop window, getting his face out there. Um, you know, there was obviously lots of interest from Liverpool fans in that, but I think his time at Liverpool is gone. Um, Klopp, you know, previously had the opportunity to re-sign Coutinho, was not interested, and, he's, and various other former Liverpool players of his reign have come available and hasn't been interested either. So I would be very surprised if Liverpool were to go back in with Firmino, a player who's obviously in his 30s and is slower and less mobile than the player who left Liverpool last summer. I mean, Liverpool want mobility. It's all about mobility, being able to press at the front, being able to counter-attack really, really quickly, be direct, super quick on the break. And Firmino is not as good as a player as he was this time last year and he wasn't playing regularly for Liverpool then. So I'd, I'd see that as unlikely that Liverpool wants someone younger, sharper and more mobile. Right, which makes complete sense, I think. And so longer term, are there any targets potentially Liverpool are looking at? So you've mentioned Timo Werner in there. Doesn't sound like Firmino is going to happen. But going into the summer, are there any players that Liverpool are eyeing up? Yeah, I mean, Huang of Wolves is a, a certain target from what I'm told. Tottenham and Liverpool both closely monitoring Huang and he's been a completely transformed player this season for Wolves and scouts from both Tottenham and Liverpool watching him closely. They've been hugely impressed by his transformation. He's been playing mainly at centre-forward this season, can also play down the left and on the right. He was at the left um, in his early days at Wolves. He's actually pretty quick, quicker than what you think, very powerful and he, he was sensational Last Saturday for Wolves against Everton, they completely blew Everton away. Huang on the counter-attack was was magnificent. And, you know, Wolves could easily have scored five or six goals in that game. He was unstoppable. Talent spotters are, are, are watching him. They like the way he counter-attacks. They, they think he fits Tottenham and Liverpool's style, which is both quite similar. They're both, they both counter-attack really, really quickly. Hit them with lots of players rapid movements and and Huang can finish as well very powerful very strong um so he's he's a potential target he just signed a new contract with Wolves last month but you know that won't make any difference in the summer if Liverpool Tottenham want him they'll, 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 they won't worry about it in fact he's just signed a new contract and Paul from a, from Wolves's perspective of course he's definitely been one of the players of the season I would say he's certainly one of my favourite players to watch I think he's an outstanding footballer 17 Premier League games 10 goals 3 assists how much would Wolves want to charge for him if you think about when Liverpool signed Diogo Jota you know that they had to pay an extortionate fee to get him do you think they'd have to pay even more to get Huang potentially yeah especially I mean if you look in mid-season now in January we, we all know that January is notoriously a difficult month and if you're going to take the club's best player, if you like, this season, he is. I mean, he's in the goal-scoring form of his life. He's never had a season like this. He's never scored this amount of goals. But I, like you, have been very, very impressed with him. Playing down the middle, leads the line really well. He's got two really good feet. He's sharp, deceptively quick. But yeah, there, there'll be a big fee attached to him, regardless whether, you know, talk about January, it'll be bigger than the end of the season. But Wolves are going to be a Premier League club again next year. I mean, if, if Wolves were to be relegated, which... A lot of people, myself included, thought they were in the mix to be at the start of the season. They've proved a lot of people wrong. If you're buying off a championship club, it's a different price to a Premier League club. If you're going to go for Huang, he's, he's going to you know, he's going to command top dollar this season. And if we look at it, you know, of course, he's just gone away with South Korea to the Asian Cup, Paul. I'm interested to get your take. When he's away, of course, the focus will be the Asian Cup, I'm sure. But just like going away in the summer to the Euros, the World Cup, how does news affect you in that way? Will he be going away and thinking about any transfer rumours or actually will the focus solely be on the Asian Cup? No, he'll be focused on the Asian Cup. He'll be looking forward to that. Um, we know that the Premier League, we're going to miss a lot of stars this January. You know, there's there's a, a huge long list with the AFCON and the, the Asian Cup. A lot of the stars will be going. Um, and I think, you know, secretly, maybe a couple of managers will be quite pleased if the players are disappearing over there. It takes them out of the limelight. I mean, Wolves won't want him to go but on the transfer front. They'll want him away and, and out of any kind of speculation. But you, you look you look at him linked to Liverpool and you look at Mohamed Salah, we talk about him not being there in January. The realism is he's probably not going to be there at the end of the season because the Saudis are going to come back, aren't they? That deal nearly went through at the end of last summer. So this isn't a short-term problem that Liverpool have got. Yes, they are going to miss him, hugely miss him. He's pivotal to everything that they do, the way they play, the goals. The I mean, he scored two the other night got an assist and missed a penalty. That's how pivotal he is. 
yes, he changed it up. He had Nunez. I mean, I, I, I did a count on Nunez. He had six attempts on target, three off target, and still no goal for him. They've got Diaz, they've got Jota, they've got Gappo. They've got a different mix. They've got a real mix of strikers there, but nobody likes Salah. So short-term, they're going to miss him in January. Is there a short-term fix between now and the end of the season? Potentially. At the end of the season, it's something they're going to have to address because the likelihood is that Salah's not going to be there. If he isn't there, that then gives them the funds to go and look at the Huang transfer in a really serious light. Yeah, absolutely. And Wayne, another name, of course, that's been mentioned that's been circulating for quite a while is Michael Elise. Do you have any news on him potentially? Because he obviously is quite a different player to Huang in terms of style. Yeah, I mean, Elise's been playing on the right side of the Crystal Palace attack since he came back from a hamstring injury. He missed the first three months of the season after coming quite close to joining one of the Premier League giants in the summer. Um, Chelsea Man City were both really keen on signing him. I think Chelsea had a bid accepted by Crystal Palace, but that that deal fell through and at least it ended up signing a new Crystal Palace contract and getting a, a massive pay rise as a result. Since he's come back from injury, um, he's been absolutely sensational, I think. Um, he scored his first Premier League double last weekend. He's got a s- sensational technique, I think. Brilliant, brilliant on the ball. His movement, superb, athletic, excellent left foot. Um, he's no Mo- Mohamed Salah yet, um, and he's, he probably won't ever have Salah, you know, the extreme pace that Salah had in his mid to late twenties. Um, Salah's probably not as quick as he was, um, but Elise's a serious talent. That is why all the all the big clubs are looking at him. And I would fully expect Elise to join one of the Premier League giants this summer. It could be Liverpool, it could be Chelsea, it could be Man City, um, it could be Man United. That that's that's how good he is. They're all looking at him. They're all seeing, wondering where his best position is, where he can fit into their attack. Because Palace have played him in different roles. They've played him in the attacking midfield role. They've played him a bit deeper. They've even played him centre forward. They've played him on the left. But seem to be settling for him on the on on the wide wide right of the attack. And obviously that's where the massive Mohamed Salah hole is going to be at Liverpool. If as expected, he does move to Saudi in the summer. I think Paul said on our first ever podcast that Salah to Saudi is a done deal and there's nothing that I've heard any different to that. Um, I think that is more likely than not he will go to Saudi and Liverpool have got a monumental job replacing him. Um, I think the futures of Gapco and Luis Diaz will be up in the air going into the summer. Um, Their outputs are pretty poor, I think. Um, They're they're not nailed on for Liverpool long term. Um, I actually believe Darwin Nunes is, um, and he offers something completely different, notwithstanding um, an inability to score from within the penalty box. But he is he is a special talent, getting getting better. I think look more closely at the Gapco Diaz position, Liverpool fans in the future, because I don't think they're nailed on. I think one thing that we can mention before we move on certainly is massive credit must go to Crystal Palace because £8 million signing from Reading for Michael Elise. I mean, the money they're going to make back on that deal is absolutely remarkable. And if you think that his release clause when he he last signed his contract was £35 million, we're talking a huge £50 million plus, I'd say, for Michael Elise. There's no doubt. And what a player he's going to turn into. I think his ceiling is so high. But if you move on from the Northwest over to the West Midlands now, Wayne, if we talk about Aston Villa, can you give us any update, please? and what's going on regarding their January transfer window plans. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to get to get players out before they get players in. They're just freeing up space in their squad and on their wage bill. Um, they, want, they want to bring in a striker. We've spoken about that on the podcast a few times. They're working very much on that deal, laying the groundwork. Um, they want Duran to, to go out on loan. He's fallen foul of Emery. He's not, not had any game time at all, barely any game time at all this season. He's not seen as a serious contender for a first-team starting role and they will loan him out this month. That's, that, that is very much their plan. They expect to loan him out by the time the window closes. At the moment, AC Milan and Inter Milan are both very interested in taking him for the rest of the season. Um, from what I'm told, AC Milan are the favourites to get him. Um, however, there are some sort of, um, there's some red tape issues to be dealt with. So that, that deal is not close at the moment, but the, the likelihood is Duran will be at a new half second after the season and Villa will be able to bring in 
bringing um, a new forward. And interestingly, they are one of the other clubs who, who Timo Werner could go to. So, you know, their interest is, is certainly there. Um, they're also freeing up space by Finn Azaz going um, to Middlesbrough. That, that's a done deal. He's, he's having his medical there. Oh, he had his medical there yesterday. Um, Villa accepted a two million bid for him. He's been on loan at Plymouth this season, so done really well for Plymouth. And um, they'll get some money in for Villa. And there will be lots of young players going out on loan at Villa as well. So they're freeing up some space. And I, I, I would certainly expect them to bring in one first team player, if not two, um, before the window shuts. Paul, I know we've spoken about this before on the podcast in previous weeks, but if you know your number two to somebody, if we focus on John John Durant, you know, he's he's go, definitely going out on loan, potentially could help him, I think, in his career going forward. Certainly isn't a bad move. Will he be looking at that, potentially trying to prove the manager wrong? What will his thoughts be going into a potential loan move this January? Well, he's going to want to play football. That's that's the first, the first and foremost. And he's not necessarily going to want to prove a manager wrong. He's going to look for his, look after himself and look after his own future. Because let's be honest, if a manager's letting you go out on loan in January, you're not really part of his thinking, you're not really part of his squad. Unless you're obviously a young player and a young talent wanting to get a lot of football. But I mean, the relationship between him and Emery, it's, it seems to be fractured. Um, and the, the option for him to go out on loan. If a manager's willing to let you go out on loan, it's, it's generally not a good thing. But I mean, from a Villa's point of view, you have to trust Unai Emery. And the thing that I like about Villa is the structure that they've got around the manager. They've not got people pulling different ways. They're all pulling in the same direction. You know, the, the close network, the sporting director, the director of football, the recruitment, they're all Unai Emery's people. They're all his, it's, they're all a team together. He's not going to be given players that other people are signing. They're, as a group, they're allowed to make decisions between the manager, between the director of football, who goes, who stays, and who they recruit into that team, which is always obviously going to be a benefit to a manager because he's getting players that he wants to work with, unlike the, the Steve Cooper scenario of Nottingham Forest, where we know he'd just given players that he necessarily didn't want, didn't want to work with, and wasn't signed by himself. But the Aston Villa model, it's one that Manchester City have had for years. It works. And... Wayne, you mentioned there Finnazaz to Middlesbrough for £2 million. I mean, this season he's played a whole load of games for Plymouth, seven goals, five assists. He's done really well, actually, at 23. Do you think they could be letting go of a star, potentially? I mean, when I spoke to Alan Hutton, he was quite worried about this transfer, actually, potentially backfiring for Villa. Um, I do, no, no I, don't think so. I don't think so, because Villa have moved on beyond that level. I think Finnazaz has definitely got the potential to play in the Premier League, but He's 23 years old, so he's not he's not super young. If he was 18, 19 with those stats and they're selling him to a championship club, it might be slightly different. I think the Cameron Archer transfer to Sheffield United was certainly quite different. I mean, some Villa fans didn't like that, although they did get um, a really good fee for him, 20 million, including add-ons. So, I mean, 2 million will be the will be the fee for Azar. So, I, I, I don't think he's a... Villa level player, not where Villa are now. I think they've they've moved far beyond that. I mean, they're looking at players capable of playing the Champions League for next season. That's where they are now, and that's a completely different level. So, you know, they're looking probably at Michael Lise rather than Finnazaz coming back. So that's that, that's where they're getting to. Um, so it, it's it's a deal that that makes sense. Southampton, we're also very interested, so with Bristol City and Azaz and they were championship clubs. So if he was Premier League level, then he'd be going to a Premier League club, wouldn't he? Um, so I think that's that that that, that makes complete sense. Clubs don't often get these deals wrong. Sorry, Lewis. I mean, Wayne's absolutely right. They sell players at this level and they say, oh, could that come back to haunt us? You know, are we, are, are we selling a player that could be in our squad? Well, actually, nine times out of ten, if you're selling a player into the championship and they do really well and everyone says, oh, look, this, you shouldn't have sold him for X or whatever you did. Why? Then you look at it and you go, well, he's excelling in the championship because that's his level. That's the, the, where the level of the player is. Where, as, as a club, as Aston Villa, we're now going on to the next level. We're looking at Champions League players and, you know, player excels elsewhere because they find their level. And I, I guess that's the that's the insight that we need, really, which is what you can get on this podcast always. So please do go listen back to any previous episodes if you haven't uh, and go and hear all the latest transfer news and gossip that we're sharing. So we'll move right on from the West Midlands to North London, Wayne. We're going to talk about Spurs, of course. They've been linked heavily with Radu Dragusin. It's been transferred, it's been rolling on for quite a while now. Have you got any update potentially? Is that going to be completed soon? Um, not necessarily soon. I mean, interestingly, his, his agent came out yesterday and said that Dragazin um, doesn't want to leave. He's he's quite happy at Genoa. Doesn't want to stay. Um, I wouldn't read 
too much into that, Tottenham fans. That doesn't mean the deal's collapsing because Genoa are open to selling him this month. They're keen on getting a big fee for him, 25 million, and they that's much needed for them. So I think Tottenham are very active on this deal. They're speaking to the player players camp every single day. They're working to get an agreement in place. And don't forget the man pulling the strings here will be Fabio Piratici. Um, you know, we speak spoke about him on previous podcasts, even though he has no formal role at Tottenham, even though he has has a FIFA bang ban um hanging over him. He is still very much Levy's favoured man when it comes to Tottenham transfers. Yes, they hired Johan Lang from Villa and Rob McKenzie as head of recruitment. But Paratici is the man that Daniel Levy trusts. His fingerprints are all over this deal, just as they were over Kulazewski and Benton Kerr, um, Pape Matasan, so many, and um, Vicario, so many of the successful Tottenham signs over the last couple of years. Levy rates his opinion so highly. This is why Tottenham are going so big on Dragazin. And I, I would be surprised if the deal doesn't go through, notwithstanding what the agent said. I mean, obviously, you've got to give um, some credibility to that because he hasn't said it for no reason. But, you know, this is all part of the um, game of transfers. You know, this is the this this is the way it goes. This could be just a negotiating tactic to get a better deal and all those kind of things. But Tottenham are working very hard to get the deal. They're confident they will get the deal done and he'll be a Tottenham player by February the 1st. Um, Paul, is the feeling at Spurs relief given that Bolly's going to be coming through the door? I know you and I spoke off air about the extensive injury list, suspension list that's been going on this season. They had quite an interesting stat as well about Christian Romero that would be worth sharing as well. Yeah, um, missed 45% of the games um, since he's been at Tottenham through either wow. injury. 45%. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I mm. see him most weeks when we talk and say he's bound to get booked or suspended at some point. But when you look at his overall career, 45% of miss of, of all games. It's it's a big stat, which is why they're going big on Dragazin. Again, like Wayne says, the recruitment there with Paratici, with Bentoncourt, Kulazewski, Vicario, Van der Ven. You know, Dragazin's that type of player. He's 21. He's a young centre-half at Juve. I mean, he's had loans to Sampdoria, to Genoa on loan first, and then they signed him. And he's perfect. He's a perfect age. Um, he's an international footballer and he, he fits the mould for what they want. And like you say, with Romero there, the injury list, the suspension list, that the partnership with Romero and Van der Ven was a huge reason that they had such a good start to the season. As soon as that was fractured, a new doggy came out of that side as well. That was one of the reasons why results dipped as they did. And with Romero, with those type of stats, you know that he's not going to play a full season. Eric Dyer's time at Tottenham is up. It's done. He's, he's not the manager's type of player. It looks like he's going to be moving on at some point if bodies can be brought through the door. Tottenham need to address the situation at centre-half because Van der Ven's injured for another however many weeks. And Romero, yes, he, he is fit, but will he be part of that side regularly? He, he's, you can't rely on him. And so when they, let's just say hypothetically, Paul, they all do come back and you've got Romero available, Van der Ven's available as well, and then Dragasin's available too. Who would your, your starting two be? Would you drop Romero potentially? Would you would you be brave enough to do that? Because I think those two this season have proven when they've played together, they actually have looked quite strong. You can't drop Romero or Van der Ven. You just have to wait till Romero got suspended or Van der Ven <laughs> or injured. Listen, it's, it's, it's guaranteed. You know, the stats don't lie. At some point, Romero will miss games. And, you know, unfortunately for Van der Ven, he's out for a length of time. Hence the reason that you have a squad. As far as Dragazin goes, yes, he's a top quality player. And I would have no qualms with him playing alongside either one of the two. But it's the unknown at the moment. I mean, tried and tested is Romero and Van der Ven. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But it will break at some point because of the, the stats. And so then Dragazin comes in. Mm, so I guess that... one of actually coped really well, I think, without... Van der Ven, given you know, given the injuries in other positions as well, they've I think they've punched well above their weight and they have that style of play that is so entertaining to watch. And Antipas Koglu is absolutely definitive on how players fit into that system. Who's capable of fitting in? Who who isn't? And as Paul said, Dyer isn't. He's out the door. He'll be gone. You might see it as contract to the end of the summer and then get gone free transfer. But you know, he won't be a Tottenham player next season. And. Paul, if you had to sum up, really, Spurs this season so far, what are your thoughts generally? I mean, I think the one word that I'd certainly go for would be roller coaster. Oh, listen, I'm delighted. I mean, it's they're just a good watch from what they've from what Spurs fans have had to endure the past two or three seasons. I mean, it's it's hard to say endure under like you know world renowned managers like Conte and Mourinho, 
but the football, I mean, it was it was awful. They were a really poor watch. They were playing on the counter-attack at home. They were sitting deep, defending. And I think just the way that Andrews brought the club together. I mean, there's there's always talk about the off-the-field stuff at Spurs, about the ownership, about Daniel Levy. But that seems to have disappeared into the background a little bit. Yes, and it's still rumbling along. It's not, it's not going to go away. But because of what's happened on the pitch, what Andrews done, and the way that he's galvanised his team and the way that they play, the togetherness between the team and the supporters... There's not been that harmony at Tottenham for such a long, long time. And again, my, my favourite phrase with, with success comes expectation. What was your expectation at the start of this season? A European finish with hopefully a trophy in the cabinet. Now what's what's success? Well, a top four finish because of the way they started the season. I worry for, for us though, Lewis, in, in January, I do, because of the injury list that we've got. We're going to lose Son, going to lose Basuma, going to lose Papsar, three really key players. That's alongside Romero out, Van der Ven out, Madison out. That's a real. That's the heartbeat of the team. You know the top quality players that are not going to be there. January is a big month for Tottenham simply because of the players they've got missing and the recruitment that they need to do. If they can come out of January into February and still be there and thereabouts, then then they've got a chance. But the, I mean the, the way that they play football, even like Wayne said, they they played four fullbacks across the back four for half of the you know for half of the season, and and it's incredible the way that they're playing. They're just a really good watch. Yeah, yeah, and just to just to build on Paul's point, I think Son is the it's the one player who's completely irreplaceable. They've the, some of these other players have had brilliant seasons. Van Ven and Madison right standing for their injuries. Vicari's been probably the second best goalkeeper in the Premier League this season after Allison. But I think Son is absolutely irreplaceable. I would only put probably Haaland and Salah above him in in the Premier League in terms of quality of player. Um, scores goals, sets the tone, brilliant footballer, match winner. He's everything to Tottenham. To not have him for a month on top of all those injuries, if they keep churning out wins with with that, then Tottenham know they have a seriously special manager. And I think you you both have said it there, Wayne. So to wrap up, are there any other deals that Tottenham are looking at or is Dragasin really the main focus of it? Looking, looking at midfielder and potentially wide forward as well. They're, they are not as much priorities. The Conor Gallagher whispers are not going away because they are completely credible. Tottenham are working on a deal. Chelsea are willing to sell him. And because he's a homegrown player, I mean, this will completely anger Chelsea fans that this might be selling another homegrown player after Mason Mount left. But they're very much looking at that because it's really good for FFP, which is a massive concern for Chelsea. And that's why the deal is is it could very well happen and could very well happen this month. Tottenham are working on it because Chelsea are, um, are willing to let them go for, for up to 45, 50 million. Um, yeah, and, that's, that's yeah. I mean, I, I just, I can't get it from a Chelsea point of view. From a Tottenham point of view, I'd love to have him there at Tottenham. Mm. I think he's a fantastic player. But the, the two clubs, as we know, they don't do business. But is yeah. Pochettino sending a message to his board? Because every time the Chelsea play... Conor Gallagher goes out and without Reese James, he puts the captain's armband on him. Yeah. And he starts every game, Paul, as well, doesn't mm -hmm. he? He's, so he's, that's, that's like Pochettino almost sending a message to his board, isn't he? I mean, how would that relationship be if they were to sell him? Well, that's mm -hmm. another case of a manager not having the players he wants, isn't it? Compared, you know, if you compare Nottingham Forest and Chelsea to Aston Villa and Liverpool, and you know, it's completely different. And it means that, you know, potentially long term, you know, you can't really see it working, can you, for Chelsea? No, it might, might be another really difficult manager's spell for, for Maurizio Pochettino at Stamford Bridge. And if we if we move on then from, from that insight over to, to Manchester United, we're going to finish, of course, with Jadon Sancho. Wayne, this move has been sort of rolling on for months and months. We've discussed this previously on the podcast in, in previous weeks. Sounds like he could potentially temporarily be leaving United in a shock loan move. Yeah, United are in talks to, to loan him back to Borussia Dortmund for the rest of the season. Dortmund are keen on him and obviously he had a fantastic spell there first time and that's where he really made his name. So that deal is potentially on the cards. The interesting thing is I've been told there's been very little interest in Jadon Sancho from across Europe. Um, there's interest from, from Saudi, but a lot of those Saudi clubs have their, have already got a full quota of foreign players. So that's, that's quite a difficult deal to happen and the, the massive issue for European clubs are his huge wages um, which I'm told are around £300,000 a week so that makes it extremely difficult and United don't want to have to 
pay a lot of the wages. Um, I think they're going to have to to get to get a deal done. And you say it's been running on for a while because of issues like this. This is what and loan fees. This is what holds it all up and prevents sort of a quick agreement. So United very much won him out, and they've been completely clear about that. Ten Hag's been clear about that, and he is he is likely to go, but. It won't, it won't be easy either and it won't be quick either. Um, he's obviously, he doesn't have a future at United. It's been frozen out and and they they want him out the door. Then they can't bring players in until they free up space on the wage bill. And they're another club who have FFP concerns and won't be able to sign anyone until players like Sancho go. And if he does go to Borussia Dortmund, then Wayne, is it likely that United will continue to pay his wages, given that they clearly don't want him at the club? Or do you think there'll be some sort of split with, with Dortmund and, and United? There's a split to, to a club like Dortmund. Um, Dortmund wouldn't be able to afford Jadio Sancho's wages in their entirety. However, it does, it does depend which club he was to go to. Um, if another club came in and offered to pay all his wages, then they'd be the favourites to get that deal done. But there is very little interest at the moment. Um so, you know, wherever you fall on the J- Jaden Sancho divide, whether you think he's been badly treated by United or his own attitude's been a disgrace, the fact is it's, it's all coming to be end, to an end. It's been catastrophic for United. It's been money down the drain, and they can't afford any more money down the drain on this deal. Um, we me, were discussing you know, this. We're talking about Jaden Sancho. We're talking about Manchester United. But the angle that quite a lot of people have missed on this: this is a huge vote of confidence for Eric Ten Hag. This is mm-hmm. the club back in Eric Ten Hag. Because this, the, the rift is between the player and the manager. If I was the player and this was happening, and he's not going to apologise, with my age now, with hindsight, knowing what you know about football, if I was Jaden Sancho, I'd be sat there going, OK, I'm going to last longer at this club than you are, and I'd wait for the next manager. But actually, the club have been proactive in moving him on, which for me is a huge backing for the manager. And I think that's I think that's the answer, isn't it, actually, that fans were, were potentially looking for. But do you think Paul fans are allowed to feel frustrated at the whole situation? Because he's going back to the club that, that he flourished at. You know, this is the club that United signed him from. And well, not only that, they signed him for a huge fee. £73 million is no short feat. No, I mean, listen, it's not worked. Short term, it's not worked. Long If it's if he's on loan and he, and he comes back at the end of the season, Manchester United has got a, a new manager next year. He could be like a new signing. But at the moment, the situation, it's it's been a disaster from it for everyone from, from day dot. It's not worked. The money that United have laid out, not only on the transfer fee, but on the on the wages for the player. The player hasn't performed to the level that it would be expected of him. His career hasn't gone anywhere. And, you know, in fact, his, his career has just been at a standstill since he's gone to Manchester United. It's it's not worked for you know, listen, we can go into the the, the, the bone structure of it with the, the falling out between him and the manager, who's right, who's wrong, should he say sorry, should should the manager say sorry? It all looks a little bit petulant from the outside looking in, but we're not privy to the actual information as to what's gone on. But the whole transfer hasn't worked for either party. But a short term separation may be the solution. But Jaden Sancho could come back to Manchester United at the end of the season after a successful loan spell and be like a new signing to a new manager coming in. That's a massive call. Wayne, can you see that happening? Do you think that there is there is a chance of that, that effectively going ahead that Jaden Sancho could be the player that United have been looking for? No, no, I can't see it happening at all. Um, I think he's good enough. I think he's good enough for United. I think he's good enough for an, an, an elite Premier League club. I mean, you might say United aren't an elite Premier League club based on performance this season. They haven't been. They've been terrible, but that's how they see themselves. And Sancho hasn't been good enough um, across three seasons. So, um, I don't. I don't. I'd be, I'd be stunned if he came back and was a star player for United next season. We'll hold that thought there. Then we're going to move on to kind of wrap up with it with a fun, slight game. We're going to call it. We're going to go for three shock moves that we expect to happen by the end of the January transfer window. Now, to caveat this, none of us have discussed the moves. We don't know which players we're going to go for. Paul, I, I want to start with you. Who are your three names that you expect to see move? I just said, end? Lewis. It's yes. not expect to happen, is it? It's will. Yeah, potentially could potentially. happen. Sorry. Shock deals that potentially could happen. Um, because my deals are probably, I don't expect them to happen necessarily. <laughs> um, <laughs> you'll find out shortly. Go on, Paul, you can kick us off. First one, I mean, it's it's been linked and it's been rumoured already, but I had this the other day when when we, when you sent me the, the running order for the show. Jesse Lingard to Everton. Ooh. Ooh. Big call. What, and what, who are your other two then? Um, Ollie Watkins to Arsenal. Wow. Okay. Ooh, like How much are they paying for him, Paul? You said they've got to be a bit left field. You said you said you got <laughs> like unlikely potential. 
what clubs need, but unlikely. Listen, he's he's tipping hundred million, isn't he? I mean, if 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 they go in in January, if Villa Villa won't Villa won't sell. I mean, anyone comes knocking for Ollie Watkins now, it would have to be absolutely astronomical, wouldn't it? But that's yeah. one. And the other one was Conor Gallagher to Spurs. Yeah, like it. Tom yeah. fans like that as well. Go on, Wayne. You give us you give us your three. Then we've heard from Paul. Okay, I'm gonna. Mine are probably slightly wilder than Paul's because <laughs> I think there's a tinge of realism to Paul's. Um, so my first one is Kylian Mbappe to Liverpool um, to be done by the 1st of February. Um, Kylian Mbappe's mum is a big fan of Liverpool. She very much um, runs Kylian's um, sort of football career. She's, she represents him and is a big influence. Although, I mean, my mum's a Leeds fan doesn't mean I'm going to play for Leeds. But <laughs> nonetheless, she she's a, she has a big say. She really likes Liverpool. Mbappe has previously said if he was to join any Premier League club, it could be Liverpool. Um, Liverpool are very much going to be in need of a superstar forward in the, sum, in the summer when their current superstar forward leaves. And Mbappe, I would say, is just about good enough to get into this Liverpool team and... The, the numbers make it slightly unrealistic because you know, he would want a million pound a week and um, Fenway Sports Group are very much unlikely to pay that. But nonetheless, um, should, can I say stranger things have happened in football? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if they have. Um, Paul probably. If, if Mohamed Salah leaves in the summer and they've got that finance, that's not as silly as it sounds at the end of the season. Yeah. No. Okay. And Wayne, We're what not, about the other two? It's a done deal, though, Lewis. Okay, I must, I must stress that. <laughs> and what were your, what were your other two? Is that, is that your big one? Are you going? Are you going? For, you're a one and well, done. Well, my, my second one's also slightly wild, um, but could happen. It's Jamie Vardy to join Rangers. Um, so Jamie Vardy's obviously he's nearly as old as Paul and I. I would say um, slightly quicker than us both, um, but still as well back of the net is Rangers are in the market for another forward. They've just signed Fabio Silva, obviously from Wolves, who's earning nearly £8,000 a week. Wolves are playing, paying a lot of those wages. Jamie Vardy is on a stonking salary at Leicester as well, so that would involve Colette Rangers having to pay all his wages. But, you know, a, a final swan song in Glasgow for a club with massive support, um, that might appeal to Vardy, I'm certainly would appeal to Rangers fans who need a proven centre forward, need someone who knows where the back of the net is. Dessas has been a disaster, so disaster has been a disaster, and I could I, he would fit the bill perfectly for Rangers. I, I love that move; that's really fun. Wayne, if you're if you're all done, I, I'll um I'm I'm happy to to share. So my my three again, slightly left field, but we'll um we'll we're going to go for it even still. Now my my first point I'm going to make. I think David De Gea is going to go back to Manchester United on a short-term deal, of course. We've now seen that Onana is going to AFCON. I think their number two that steps in, Altai Badnier, is not going to hit the heights that Eric Ten Hag's hoping for. So I'm, I'm going to make a call that David De Gea is going to return. My second choice. Wouldn't now, I went down... Newcastle. I'd be surprised with United, but I wouldn't be surprised at Newcastle. Okay, well, well, actually, my next my next player does involve Newcastle United because I, I went down the free agent market. I was weighing up who, who who could potentially be on the move, and one name, of course, that's always spoken about every summer is Marco Royce. And I actually think Marco Royce could potentially be moving to Newcastle this January transfer window. I think they need leadership. I think they need goals. I think they need rejuvenation in in attacking midfield, and I think he could be the man. And the third player, Ashley Barnes, Lewis. Ashley Barnes. Yeah. Well, sorry, Harvey Barnes. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that would be, that would certainly be a shock. No, you know, Harvey Barnes, exactly. Harvey Barnes coming back. Yeah, that, no, no, maybe not then. I, I, I don't think Mark Royce is just going to elbow, elbow Barnes. I, Side. Out of the way. I think he's going to stroll in there and he's just going to absolutely tear it up at 34. Now, my last choice, the one that certainly, and I would have been very surprised if either of you went for, I'm going to build it up as well because he left Shandong Taishan as a free agent in November 2023. There was talk of him retiring. He denied that as, as confirmed by Fabrizio Romano. Now, Everton sits 17th in the table, one point above the drop zone. And I believe that Marouane Fellaini is going to return to Everton on a six-month deal to wrap up his footballing career. He's going to save them. The toppies are staying up and he's going to finish his career in style. So Marouane Fellaini to return. He would fit the playing style, wouldn't he? And he would be a Daesh type signing. I like that yeah. one. Like I'm glad. One. I'm glad. And if we if we wrap up, then we're going to do our shock 2024 Premier League prediction. Paul, what have you thought? What are you going for? 
it's it's a shock prediction, yeah. It's with the, there's a t- tinge of reality, shock. but shock, yeah. <laughs> Aston Villa to win the Premier League. Wow. Oh, well. Um, and can you give us any? Can you give us any thoughts further than that? Why do you say that then? Well, look where they are. Look where they're sat in the league. I mean, you said a shock prediction, a prediction that might shock everybody. I mean, Liverpool, uh, Arsenal, Manchester City. We know there's a three-horse title race. But look in that top four, Aston Villa are there and they're not going away. If they're still there come the end of January, come the end of February, we've seen the others falter. Liverpool not pick up the points they should. Manchester City, they look like they're kicking into gear. And we all expect that Manchester City juggernaut just to roll on now and go and win the title. Arsenal look to have faltered. If City pick up some of the form that they had before they went away for the Club World Cup, one win in six, and Villa are still there, may not be looking so silly in a few months, but I think I might be. <laughs> and Wayne, what are you going for? We can certainly caveat in here as well and say that we don't always expect these to happen. This is just a bit of fun to wrap it up. Yeah, my my shock prediction for 2024 is Man United to be relegated um, <laughs> based on their performances and not so much their results, because the results have been okay-ish and I think I've actually massively flattered them based on their performances and some very, very late goals from McTominay usually, but They've been abysmal this season. They don't have a style of play. They don't have um, a manager who knows what he's doing. They don't have um, opportunity to improve their squad really in January. So there won't be any major signings coming in. Um, certainly would be unlikely. I can't see them getting any better. I think they will still keep churning out the, win, the odd win just because their players are about, about good enough. But when it comes to playing big sides, they always fall apart. They always get beaten. And those 40 points needed to stay up could be looking more and more difficult um, as we get into the spring. So um, it it might seem unrealistic, but Man United fans who have watched every minute of the season know how bad that team would be. Uh, yeah. I tell you what, the, the, the shock predictions get bigger and bigger. I'm not sure if I can top that, to be fair, because that is certainly that is certainly <laughs> a big call. Now, my mine involves transfers, but I will explain. So my first thought is that I don't think Manchester City are going to win the league and I will explain why. Now, that's not the shock prediction because I think that Kylian Mbappe is going to remain at PSG this year. We've seen it before. It happened in the summer of 2022. I was actually at the game when it was announced. His contract, he became an ambassador of the club. Everyone went absolutely wild. And as a result, I think that Erling Haaland is going to have his release clause activated by Real Madrid in the summer. They're not going to win the Premier League this year, and he is going to go to Real Madrid for, however, 200 million euros. Who knows? But it'll be something around there. And to replace him, the man that's been out of football for quite a while, I think the man would lead their line absolutely brilliantly, Ivan Tony, to join Manchester City for £100 million. <laughs> oh, Lewis. Oh, Lewis. Um, Can I sip whatever you've been drinking, please? Yeah, I, think need, I think you need another podcast. I think Man United getting relegated is more likely. Um, <laughs> Look, maybe maybe I'm in Tony's a bit of a stretch, but one thing I do, I can certainly say is I do believe that Kylian Mbappe is going to stay at PSG. I can't see him going. And as a result, they're not going to go for Harry Kane. I think Erling Haaland's the obvious man. And that was my justification. Okay, Lewis. Okay, you stick to that. Um, that's That's... The, 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 that is the shock prediction of 2024. That's the headline for our podcast. <laughs> and we'll end it there. That was absolutely excellent. So much gossip and exclusive news across a range of subjects today. Thanks very much to both Wayne Beasy and Paul Robinson for their expert analysis and detail on all the stories covering so many clubs, including our shock 2024 January transfer window and Premier League predictions. If you have enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a share on social media wherever you can. And any clips you see on YouTube, make sure to give us a like and a comment, as well as subscribing to the channel. I'm Lewis Pears, and we'll speak to you all on the next show here on the Inside Track.